0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You are in studio with Justin Rumley tuning into Anchored. I thank you so much for joining us. Anchored is a new ministry of Peoria Christian School where we gather the PCS Bible team in order to explore the intersection of education and theology. The claims of the culture ever change. The tides of the culture ever change. It is best and necessary that the Christian family and the local church remains anchored in the Word of God. I appreciate you carving some time out of your morning to join me in a good conversation. Today, we're going to kind of set the foundation for the next few weeks of Anchored Podcast, and I think it's something you're going to want to be with us every step of the way. I think it's fair to say that uh, those of us who've been Christians for quite some time realize that the culture is changing. We realize especially that the younger generation seemingly are stepping away from the local church. In fact, many times we raise our kids in a Christian home, maybe we place them in what we understand to be a good Christian environment for school, but once they step out of the home, step out of their uh, local school and enter college, they a lot of times step away from the Christian faith. And understandably so, this has, causes a lot of concern for Christian parents. We want our children to remain in the church. We want them to know and experience a relationship with Christ. But I think in the back of our minds, we truly do fear that in a hostile world, whether that be in university or the workplace or just in the general culture, that there is this strong tug to pull them away from their Christian roots. And unfortunately, there seems to be a lot of success the culture is having in doing exactly that. So we might wonder, what are some ways we can counteract? this mass exodus or seemingly mass exodus of young people from the church? What are some things we can do to equip and encourage our young Christians to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ and to remain anchored in the faith they were brought up in? Well, that brings me to what we're doing in Bible class here at peoria christian high school this semester and it's engaging with the topic of worldview now we discussed worldview a few weeks ago on anchored i think that was our second or third episode and we explained how a worldview is the set of lenses you view the world through and those lenses color how you interpret reality so if we put on the christian lens we're going to interpret reality in a certain way. If we put on a secular humanist or an atheist lens, we are going to look and see reality differently. And it opens up this question of what is truth? Well, we recently finished a section where we walked through four major arguments for an objective standard of truth. Uh, one of the ways uh, the church has responded to a hostile culture is to come up with apologetic tools, or uh, an apologetic is simply giving a defense for. Uh, we, we've uh, equipped ourselves with different tools to answer the claims of the culture, to, as the scripture says, give a defense for the faith, give a reason for the hope that lies within us. And I am pleased to tell you that in uh, our high school classes, we are equipping our students to do exactly that. So over the next few weeks, uh, I'm going to have a different student uh, join me here on Anchored, and they're going to walk us through these different argumentations we discussed in class. In fact, uh, I just had them write a research paper on these arguments, and I was very clear that I I wanted these papers to be uh, so much uh, full of quality that they could have usability for moving into college. That when they encounter that professor or that peer that challenges their Christian faith, that they can uh, use these papers as a starting point for conversations as to why the Christian faith is uh, not only reasonable, but superior to all other worldviews. Well, with that, I want to give you a brief introduction to these four different lines of argumentation. In fact, you may have heard some of these. Maybe some of these you are less familiar with. In fact, I want to ask you right now what is your favorite argument for the existence of God? When someone asks you why you are a Christian, what is your favorite apologetic or defense you give for the reason and hope that lies within you? With that, the four different lines of argumentation we discussed are four classical arguments that have been present throughout church history. Uh, The first argument is called the cosmological argument. Now, once again, we will go more in depth with these discussions in future weeks as I have students on who specifically wrote their research paper about these topics. But I want to give you a brief flavor, a brief taste as to what these are. So the cosmological argument stresses that all things that begin to exist must have a cause. Okay. All things that begin to exist must have a cause. Therefore if we can demonstrate that the universe began to exist or that the universe had a point of beginning now what i don't want to get into is is things like the big bang theory things like that uh that is above my pay grade and we can talk biblically how well or not so well that lines up but nonetheless whether you're a creationist or you believe god created the universe out of nothing or even you're a, an adherent to the big bang theory who believe there is a point of singularity uh, many millennias ago where uh, before that point of singularity there was nothing and then there was the big bang right so no matter which perspective you hold most would agree the universe had a point of beginning that there was a point where we could say the universe began to exist so therefore the philosophical principle called the principle of sufficient reasoning demands that there must be a cause to all of that which begins to exist now if there's a cause to the universe. That cause is not a part of the universe. It must be outside of the universe, since it was there before the universe began. Therefore, we would say uh, that cause uh, would be God. But I will let uh, a student go more in depth on his, his or her research in regards to the cosmological argument. The second argument we discuss is the teleological argument. Now, uh, teleological comes from the word telos, which means object, aim, or purpose. Therefore, the teleological or otherwise known as the fine-tuning argument stresses that things in this universe seem so finely tuned as if they have a purpose or object in mind. When we look at the universe, this is hard to escape uh, from coming to this conclusion because everything is so detail-oriented and it works so well. It would be ludicrous and absurd to say this was a coincidental uh, culmination of random chaotic expulsions of energies over long periods of time. Rather, we look at things and say, wow, what an amazing design this universe has. Well, if we're going to say the universe is finely tuned or designed or has a purpose in mind, well, everything that must have a purpose must have an intentionality behind it. And intentionality is only part of a divine mind. Or would say divine mind in this case, since it'd be outside Of our universe since he was the one who designed it. So the theological argument stresses the fine tuning and design of this universe as pointing to a divine mind who was intentional in designing what we see here today. So once again, we'll have a student on even about that topic in future weeks where we'll go more in depth. Thirdly, we discuss the moral argument for God where we stress there must be an objective standard for morality or a standard outside of humanity that applies to all of us in terms of right and wrong. We say this because there are simply things that uh, all of us would say has been wrong for humans to do in all times, in all places, for all reasons, right? We would say uh, a rape has been wrong for all people in all times and all places. Rape isn't a preference. You don't get to decide if it's right or wrong. It has always been wrong for people. I've yet to meet someone. In fact, if you do meet someone who says, well, uh, rape is sometimes okay for some people, that person needs to be in jail right? We would say there are objective standards of morality where some things, if not all things, uh, are right and wrong for all people. And we intuitively know this objective standard because once again, uh, we live our daily lives uh, expecting and knowing some things are right and wrong no matter what. So if this is true, this begs the question, how do we know? Why is there uh, this objective standard of morality? If so, where is it? Well, the biblical worldview we'd say god's character is the objective standard it's unchanging it is ever true it is perfect and pure his commands are a reflection of his character therefore it applies to all people in all times in all places and the challenge with the moral argument is for the non-theists to account for an objective standard that in their professed worldview doesn't exist but in their day-to-day life they live as if it does so we'll have another student come on and explain their research into that one. I just want to give you a quick teaser with that one as well. And finally, we just dis- discuss probably the most philosophical of these arguments, which would be the ontological argument. Ontology simply means the study of being. Therefore, uh, this argument focuses on a maximally great being. Uh, so this argument basically goes that if we can conceive of, think of, or picture a maximally great being to exist. Uh, We don't necessarily have to prove he does, but if we can just say it's a possibility that he exists. Well, uh, the the philosophical notion of real worlds and possible worlds kind of goes as uh, the real world is the reality we live in, while possible worlds are the hypothetical realities that things could have been like. For example, I have brown eyes, but in a possible world or hypothetically, I could have had blue eyes. Now, do I have blue eyes? No, so actually isn't true. But in a possible uh, world or a hypothetical reality, we would say, I can conceive of myself having blue eyes. So in the same way, we would say that we can conceive of the possibility of a maximally great being, a being who's perfect, who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, who's morally perfect. We can conceive of it. Therefore, it's possible in a hypothetical reality or possible worlds that this maximally great being could exist. But here comes the issue. If a maximal great being only exists hypothetically or in some possible worlds, he wouldn't be maximally great because we would say uh, existence is a part of maximal greatness. It's hard to be maximally great if you don't exist. So if a maximally great being exists in some world or a possible world or hypothetically we can conceive of it, then by uh, logical deduction, That maximal great being has to exist in the real world because it's logically impossible for a maximally great being to exist only hypothetically or impossible worlds. Therefore, the uh, burden is on the non-theist to not just challenge the notion of God's existence as being improbable, but they have to demonstrate it as being impossible, which is very challenging to do. Now, I know I just gave you a ton of information. I know that's probably drinking uh trying to drink water out of a water hose but I just wanted to quickly and succinctly give you a uh, a flavor of these uh arguments we're going over in class and how we are equipping your students to interact uh with uh those in the culture to prepare themselves for uh university and college life where They can probably expect, unless they're at a good Christian college, for their faith to be challenged. We want to equip them not just to remain anchored in their Christian faith, but to demonstrate to others the superiority of the the Christian faith. And all of this to say is when uh, students come into PCS, you can fully expect that they're not just going to get a a normal educational experience. No, they're going to be equipped with the depth of biblical knowledge. They are going to be prepared to face challenges for their Christian faith. And by golly, we are doing everything we can to give them the tools to strike back to go on the offensive, to uh, bring people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and to demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that Christianity is true and all other worldviews are inferior to the biblical one. So I hope uh, you will join us in future weeks. I am excited to have students join us on Anchored, and I'm excited to show you their research, that they can articulate these argumentations, and that we'll all learn something along the way. So this was a shorter episode. I just wanted to give you a teaser of what's to come, and I sure hope you will join us next time on Anchored when we further explore these arguments because that's what we're committed to here at PCS, raising up the next generation with a biblical worldview to be warriors for Christ. And I hope we have some fun along the way. I'm so looking forward to seeing you next time on Anchor.